So let's jump right in. Daniel 10. And I, and I did preface all that because we are going to talk about prayer. So just, yeah. So I'm, I'm reading a nonfiction book right now about George Washington. It takes place in the early days of the Revolutionary War. It's, I can't even remember the title, but something about a, um, it, not a conspiracy theory, but it was a conspiracy by the British to actually kill him um, ahead of, ahead of, or at the beginnings of the Revolutionary War so that they didn't have to deal with him. That was their goal, right? It's been interesting to read um, just because he's in the process. It's taking place in uh, late 1775, early 1776 is where I'm at so far, and, and about how he recruited soldiers, how he prepared those soldiers for battle. Uh, even the process he had to go through to find weapons, to find ammunition, um, that they were just talking about bringing, so they were, their camp was outside of Boston, that was the, the location they were at at the time, and they were talking about two cannons were available in upstate New York at an abandoned fort there and sending a crew of men to go and find these two cannons to come and, and just the process that took. And just, just a different way of, of thinking about fighting a war today. We think about planes and tanks and, and things like that. And um, I had no idea the role of spies and even almost secret agents in the Revolutionary War. And just, did you know the British actually sent people infected with smallpox into colonial army camps to try to infect the soldiers in order to debilitate the army? I mean, just the things you don't know about about war. It was just very interesting. And so the colonists had to learn who to trust, where they were safe to speak. Uh, George Washington even had a, um, a special unit within the army that was basically bodyguards for him. Uh, but, but there are a few things about war that are always the same. Two sides are opposing each other. They are actively battling in one way or another for the purpose of gaining something. And so as we look at Daniel 10 today, we're going to see a different kind of war taking place. And we're going to look at the role that we ourselves have in fighting in that, in that war. Um, before we dig in to Daniel 10 in particular, let me just say Daniel 10 through 12 is all one vision. Um, we will have some things that won't be completely clear that we'll talk about this week until two weeks from now with, with chapter 12 and, and things that I'm talking about now that we'll have to recall in coming weeks. And so, um, so just, just keep in mind, if you still have unanswered questions, let me know, but we may get to it. So... Um, but chapter 10 is kind of the prelude, kind of the introduction to the vision. 11 is more the, the detailed vision itself. And then 12 is the, both the conclusion of the vision and of the book. So, um, so let's jump in. And I gave somebody Daniel 10 verses 1 through 3. And 
this age I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for this whole three weeks. So verse 1 there is, is almost the introductory. It, it, it's also in the third person referring to, to Daniel, even by his Babylonian name. It's revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. Um, this was to, to emphasize that he was the same one who had written all these previous, the previous chapters, written about these previous events and visions, that he was the same, um, the same man. And, um, and we also know in that verse, he tells us the word was true. We know that what is coming in, and, and again, we have to remember now, we, we believe the whole Bible is true, but we have to remember that he is telling every single reader, everything I'm going to tell you from the beginning of, of chapter 10 to the end of chapter 12 is true and it was it was the word of God it was from this vision um, and that's that sets this passage apart from some of those others that he specifies a little more ab about this particular vision kind of sets it up to be something that's while it covers some of the same topic it does set it up a little bit different than, than the other visions that he's had. So when was this chapter written? In the third year of Cyrus. The third year of Cyrus. And so if you look there on your timeline, and I had the page a minute ago, 33, 33 it would be about 536 B.C., And that is, um, that tells us that about how old was Daniel? 80. He was at least 80. 85-ish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, plus or minus a few years. And what was happening to Daniel? Well, before he has the dream, what's it say he was doing in verse 2? He was mourning, and then, and then he ate, in verse 3, he ate no delicacies, no meat or wine, and so there, there was a level of fasting occurring as well. Um, now, fasting and, and praying is not something that, that should surprise us about Daniel, right? We have seen throughout the book that he is a man of prayer. Uh, he, was, he was sent to the lion's den for praying, and that would have been around this time frame um, that, that he would have, have been in the lion's den. This was, this was something that, that doesn't surprise us, but the morning kind of does. And so we come to the question of why he was mourning, but to answer that, we need to look at what was happening in the world at this time. So most of the time, when I've asked about when, we focused on that, that bottom chunk of the, of the timeline. Uh, and that's what's on, on the screen. But 
this time we're going to look, we're going to sort of take it up to the top. Now, I have cut out a chunk in the middle, so you've got more on your paper timeline than is on the screen, but otherwise you wouldn't be able to see what was on the timeline. So that purple line there is 536. And, and what does it tell us? Um, well, the, the, it says the three, um, three stages of captivity. And our line falls at the end of that three stages of captivity. So that means that some of the exiles have, have been allowed back into, into um, Jerusalem. And so uh, I gave somebody Ezra 1, 1 through 4. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any local locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So in 539, and on your timeline, there, that's marked as well, Cyrus issued a decree. And what did that decree say? For the to, be built. to go and rebuild the temple, right? That's what, that's what he's telling them. Even gave them some means of gathering supplies, um, materials for that. And even with that not just being allowed for the Israelites to return to Israel, to return to Jerusalem, but, but commanded almost for, for the temple to be rebuilt, there was not, I, I mean, it says less than 50,000 Jews volunteered to return to Israel. That seems like a whole lot. But in reality, that wasn't a whole lot of people. Many of them had grown accustomed to life in Babylon, the, the city, and in, and in Persia, the empire, and life was easy for them. It was good. They, they didn't feel the need to go back. So this left many thousands of able-bodied men that were perfectly content to stay outside of the promised land. I think I asked it on your homework, just not in these same words, but why do you think Daniel stayed behind? Yeah, some some duties with the Persian government. God wasn't finished with them, really. And God wasn't finished with them yet. Maybe to support those that stayed. To support those who stayed. Plus, he was 85 years old. I mean, <laughs> he's not going to be able to do much rock lifting. That's just, <laughs> you know. So so yeah, he he was so he was old not able to actually do the physical labor 
And so while he was still serving King Cyrus, he probably thought he could be of more help to the Jewish people by staying than by going. It wouldn't have been easy. It was it was several hundred miles. I I can't I looked it up, but I didn't write it down, so I can't remember how far, but um, quite a distance. And and so even getting there would have been a challenge. Um, it's not that he didn't want to go, and it's not that he didn't believe in the work that was being done. It was that he felt led to stay for whatever the reason was. Um, but, but the returned exiles, they had supplies. They even were, were given the, the temple vessels that had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar. But it still wasn't easy. Uh, it took two years to rebuild just the foundation for the temple. And I gave somebody, I, th I think, I left my post-its at home that had them all written out. So if somebody doesn't have one, I'll just read it. But I think I gave somebody Ezra 3, 10 through 13. But I may have missed some. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their place to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord. He is good, his love of Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. So what were the two emotions that were expressed here? What were the two things that could be heard? Joy and jo joyful shouts and weeping. Why would those who had seen the temple before it was destroyed, and it wasn't destroyed at the beginning. It wasn't destroyed in 605 when the first, it, was, it wasn't until 586 that it was destroyed. But, um, so they wouldn't have all been 85 years old. Um, still old, but, but not, not Daniel's age old. Um, so why would those who had seen the, temp the temple originally be weeping? Yeah, yeah. They they knew the greatness of the temple. They knew that splendor, that majesty, that that Solomon had put into it. They knew what had been missing for those seventy years, and they knew that their sin had caused it to happen, and that they deserved every bit of it. So Daniel, being high in the government for for Persia, working for King Cyrus, he would have received reports of what was happening in Jerusalem. And so here we see he is mourning for three weeks. So why was Daniel mourning? Because 
because he couldn't be part of it. That's that's an excellent possibility. Maybe it's because he was so far away from being able to even see it happening. Yeah. And he would have seen the greatness. And then to hear that it took two two years to build the, because this was, the, the decree was 536 and this is 539-ish. No, backwards. 539 was the decree. This is 536-ish. I caught myself. That to know that it took two years just to build the foundation, that meant there were, there were issues. Um, and so I gave somebody, I think, Ezra 4, 4 through 6. Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from the work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. This went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. Years later, when Xerxes began his reign, the enemies of Judah wrote a letter of accusation against the people of Judah in Jerusalem. So there was opposition to the rebuilding of the temple. And so that would have caused some of the sadness as well. Um, in fact, all of this later leads to another decree putting a stop to all construction on the temple. Um, the rebuilding of the temple, what should have been a glorious occasion, what should have been exciting, was turning into quite the, the challenging process. And, and Daniel was saddened because of it. He was wondering, if you remember from, from last week, we, we read Jeremiah 29, and he was wondering when God would fulfill those promises that we talked about last week from um, Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. This was the passage that said they would be in Babylon for 70 years before returning. Here it had been 70 years. Here they were returning, but things weren't coming back together quite yet. Daniel's desire was for the temple to be rebuilt and to be rebuilt quickly, but God was fulfilling his plans without a mistake. So the work on the temple had ended up stopping in 536 BC, shortly after the foundation was built. It did not resume again until 520 BC. And the temple was not completed until, until close to 515 BC, 70 years after it had been destroyed. So sometimes we think God's not working when really he had a plan. And he had a plan for that 70 years. So, yeah, so from 536 until 520, nothing was being built on the, in, in the, with, within the temple area. And, and the walls, if you, if you think about Nehemiah, was after the temple had already been rebuilt. So even, even the walls weren't built. Um, weren't built yet. Yeah. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says that this is a good reminder to us, the, the idea of it being, the, the temple being gone for 70 years. 
This is a good reminder to us as we serve the Lord today that our times are in His hands and He is never late in accomplishing His will. And so while mourning, Daniel fasted and he prayed. And we know he was a man of prayer. This would not have been anything unusual for him. Nobody would have been surprised by, by this, these actions from him. And Daniel had experienced visions and he had seen what was coming and he wanted to understand them more. He was seeking additional truth through this, this time of mourning and fasting. He wanted to be, his goal we've talked about was to be an encouragement to the Jewish people. But he also knew his time remaining on earth was short. He was 85 or so years old. Uh, he had already outlived his life expectancy significantly. He didn't want to waste his time. Daniel set his heart to understand. And we're going to see that God honored that and gave him understanding. Um, previously, if you recall, when Daniel prayed fervently, his prayers were answered immediately. Before the words were out of his mouth. That was, that was chap chapter 9, right? Yeah. Um, but this time, he had been praying continuously for three weeks with no response. And so as we continue reading, um, we're going to see what happens. So Daniel 10, 4 through 9. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound, then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So this passage gives us um, sort of an, an initial uh, like preview of the vision almost. But we have a more detailed win. So what day? It gives us the actual day that, that it was. What day is it? The 24th day of the first month. Um, the first month of the Hebrew calendar is Nisan, which is our March-April time frame. Passover, so this was 24 Nisan, Passover happens on 14 Nisan, and that's followed immediately by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so, so here we've got this period of time where Daniel is, Passover is supposed to be a celebration, right? For the Jewish people, it's celebrating God's, God's care, God's sovereignty in the exile, in leaving Egypt. Um, 
and and here Daniel is is spending these three weeks, this time of Passover, where he is mourning. Now, Passover would not have been celebrated in the city of Babylon. It it wasn't Cyrus wasn't to that point where he was he was going to do that. He would have been accepting of it if if somebody had chosen. But this was a a time when he longed to be at the temple and would have had that longing every year um, to, to go to Jerusalem to have this. But he still would have been thinking on it. He still would have been practicing what parts he was able to from where he was. Um, they would have, these feasts would have definitely been on Daniel's mind. So now we know the, the when and this time we're given a specific where. And so where does it say he was? The bank, of the, great the bank of the Great River. So the Great River, this was the best map I could find, and it's really not a great one, so I apologize. But the Great River would have been the Tigris. Um, this is not like the vision that took from, from Daniel 8 that, that took him to Susa that was so far away. The Tigris River... Um, He's, he, he would have been outside the city. The Euphrates is the one that goes through the city of Babylon. The Tigris River at the closest to Babylon is about 20 miles away. And so what we see is Daniel was probably with, with these friends of his, these men, was probably on sort of a, a sojourn type of thing while he was doing this fasting and praying and mourning um, he, 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 was, he was away from the city of Babylon. 20 miles is not that far from B Babylon, but it would have been enough that he would have had to, um, it, it, it wasn't just a day trip. It wasn't just hopping in the car and, and you know, driving to, to Lancaster or something. It was, it was more than that, more involved than that. But, um, but he was, so he was physically at the Tigris River. We don't know that he was at that point exactly 20 miles away. He could have been anywhere along the river. But if he didn't travel to Jerusalem, he wouldn't have traveled all that far um, in, in order to, to have this, this time. But then, then Daniel sees something. But his friends don't see it. What happened to the men who were with him? They, they took off. <laughs> they were gone. But they, they fled and they hid. And so just this alone would tell us that there was something, even, if, even though they couldn't see it, there was something overwhelming that was happening. Um, but then we want to look at this man and how he was described. Let's see if this works. There we go. So how was this man that he saw in this, um, how was he described? I looked it up and I wrote it down. And I don't have that notebook up here. I'll have to find it. Or, or Elizabeth can find it on her phone. One, uh, yeah, it was, um, yeah. I had them written down, but I don't know where I put it. 
dressed in linen, a belt of gold. So according to Wikipedia, beryl is a mineral composed of beryllium, aluminum, cyclosylate, whatever. Anyway, um, well-known varieties of beryl include emerald and aquamarine. Naturally occurring hexagonal crystals of beryl can be up to several meters in size. Yeah, they were, I, I remembered it was, it, it was sort of crystalline and, and sh sort of sparkly almost, yeah. was, the, was the way I thought of it, was, was almost sparkling. And they can be all different colors, and it says opaque and transparent, so light would have, you know, yeah. light kind of goes through that. So. Hmm. Yeah, so clothed in linen, belt of fine gold, the body like like barrel, like sparkling. What about his face? Like lightning, eyes like flaming torches. Uh, arms and the arms and legs gleaming like bronze. And then what was about what about that sound? The sound of a multitude. You ever? It's been weird to watch sports on TV the last year, right? Because you don't have that crowd sound in in the background, um, and and so it's. But but that's we've noticed what's been missing. That's that's kind of what he was hearing was that that crowd sound. And so before we decide who this is, though you probably have already decided. Um, I believe I gave somebody Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Yes. Okay. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And the voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So most, um, let me put our list up there. Most commentators believe that this is a Christophany. If you remember, that's the fancy word for an appearance of Jesus before he came to earth as a man. Um, Brian Chapel, he's a theologian, says, who is being described? Clearly, this is the Christ, the anointed Son of Man, who represents the glory and purposes of God. There are many intentional reflections between the chief figures in these chapters of Daniel and Revelation. The men described are both clothed in white robes, priestly garb. Both have a gold belt, kingly apparel. Both have blazing eyes. Both have bronze skin. Both have roaring voices, all supernatural traits. In Revelation, the one described holds seven stars in his hand and his face blazes like the sun. 
Perhaps that explains why the appearance of the man in linen to Daniel makes the prophet faint dead away and causes his friends to run. The one who comes as a spokesman for God is most readily understood as the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead who made the heavens and the earth. And so here we have Daniel has been mourning and fasting and praying for three weeks. Three weeks of, of just fighting with this prayer and this fasting and, and, and crying out to God. And then he sees an appearance of Jesus. It's almost like it's a reward for his faithful service. Um, Warren Wearsby, frequently in the biblical account of salvation history, you find the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to his servants at special times, either to deliver a special message or to prepare them for a special ministry. He usually appeared in a fashion compatible with their circumstance or their calling. To Abraham the pilgrim, Jesus came as a traveler. But to Jacob the schemer, he came as a wrestler. Before Joshua attacked Jericho, Jesus came as the captain of the Lord's army. And to Isaiah, he revealed himself as the king on the throne. But to the two Jewish exiles, Daniel in Babylon and the apostle John on Patmos, Jesus appeared as the glorified king-priest. After seeing the Son of God, both men were given visions of future events that involved the people of God, events that would be difficult to accept and understand. So then we have Daniel, and he is out cold, face on the ground. But that's not the end of the story, so let's read Daniel 10, 10 through 14. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia was sitting in 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet I have a question. Mm -hmm. If this is a vision of Jesus, then why was he held up? By the We're going to get there. I promise. I mean, I don't yeah. think he would not have right. been held up. That's exactly right. So, so we see someone who speaks, who touches Daniel and who speaks to Daniel. This is not the man from the vision. This is not the Jesus. Because Jesus would not have been slowed down. This is the person who is supposed to come and present the vision. Um, we've, we've seen that in a couple of other, um, a couple of other places through, throughout, um, throughout Daniel. We saw, um, we saw Gabriel come and many suggest that this, this person that touches him is Gabriel, um, though he is not named in this particular passage. But 
if, if it had been Jesus that he had seen and been touched by, it, he would not have been held up. Is, that's exactly right. And so it's, that was Jesus as part of the vision. And then here's the angel who has come and has physically reached out and touched him and is ministering to him. Um, and, and, but angels, angels are messengers of God. And so, so um, they play an important role in scripture as messengers for God. And so an angel came to Jesus immediately after the temptation. And did I give somebody Matthew 4, 11? And so what did the angels do for Jesus? Oh, let me show that. Yeah. Ministered to him. They were, they were helping him. Um, an angel was also with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I gave somebody Luke 22, 41 through 43. And so what did the angel do here? Strengthened him. This, this angel is strengthening Daniel in, in the same way that, that, he did early, or that they did later to, to Jesus. But this angel not only reached out and touched him, but it spoke words of encouragement to Daniel. Um, called him in the ESV, a man greatly loved. Others, other versions call, say uh, man of high esteem or the Daniel who are treasured by God. Uh, that was great praise. Can you imagine having some, an angel come and say that to you about you? Like, yeah. But the angel who came with this vision was delayed, took a while. How long was he delayed? Yeah, three weeks, 21 days, three weeks. Yo, yeah, I did. Um, the angel was dispatched immediately when Daniel started praying, right? He had, been, he had been mourning for three weeks, it said, and here for three weeks, this angel had been in battle. Um, the... So why does it say the angel was delayed? Who stood in his way? The, the, yeah, the, it calls it the, uh, in the ESV, the kings of Persia. I can't remember which version called him the, the prince of Persia, princes of Persia, but um, they, this prince, was not a man, was not Cyrus, was not, uh, not a human. No human can stop the work of an angel. Even though we sometimes try, we cannot stop the work of an angel. This is spiritual warfare. Now, spiritual warfare is a concept we do not always like to talk about. 
We don't even like to think about it sometimes, but it is a biblical concept. It is real and it is still happening today. Um, David Jeremiah says, Satan and his demons are active in the world today. We see their destructive power far and wide, causing despair and destruction. The prince of darkness has been working to deceive and destroy from the beginning. The fact is we are in continual battle with Satan and his minions. Evil is not abstract. It is not lurking out there somewhere like a cloud. Evil always has an intelligent, conscious source. There is no evil that does not originate in a personality. There is, there is the evil within us, and there is the evil that is personally involved with Satan and his emissaries. Um, Dr. Chuck Lawless was a professor at Southern Seminary when Ray was a student there. He was also an interim pastor at, a church, at our church when we were in Louisville. He wrote a book called um, Discipled Warriors, Growing Healthy Churches That Are Equipped for Spiritual Warfare. Dr. Lawless is the expert on spiritual warfare um, from a conservative Christian standpoint. Um, if he, he and um, another professor who was at the seminary when, when Ray was there, uh, Dr. William Cook, wrote another book called uh, Spiritual Warfare in the Storyline of Scripture. And it's, it's a, got a biblical, it sort of shows you through the Bible how um, spiritual warfare is there from the beginning. And then gives you a, a like practical, here's how you deal with it type of thing. Um, so Discipled Warriors is, is focused on church growth, but is still really a good, um, good book to answer spiritual warfare questions as is this spiritual warfare in the storyline of scripture. Um, it, it both are uh, relevant and will relate to your lives. If, so if you have any questions about, um, about how to combat it, these are, these are two very good options, very easy to understand options. They are not, um, they are not highly like out of reach for anybody. Um, and in, let me see, in this one, let me find my spot. He gives his definition. It's Ray's book, so I couldn't like I couldn't write in it like I normally do. So I have to find the right spot. Uh, yeah. Okay. It says, we define spiritual warfare, this is Dr. Lawless and Dr. Cook. We define spiritual warfare as the ongoing battle between the church and the devil and his forces. With the church standing in the armor of God, defensively resisting the devil and offensively proclaiming the gospel in a battle already won. This def definition emphasizes three issues. First, the battle is primarily between the devil and the church. Since his appearance in the Garden of Eden, Satan has sought to attack God's people. Second, the battle is ongoing, though it has already been won. Jesus already disarmed the powers, but the enemy continues to fight back. He will do so until he is cast into the lake of fire in Revelation 20. Third, daily victories come not by some magical or mystical approach to warfare, but by daily following Christ. In the armor of God, we do all that God has called us to do 
Obedience in the power of God is victory over the enemy. It is important to us that you finish this book, but we're, yeah, more grateful for this victory that God gives us. The Bible is a book about God, not about the devil. And we do not intend for this book to be about the devil. Whenever you're studying spiritual warfare, when I say this book, that's what. Um, we must discuss his strategies, but he is already a defeated foe. He continually seeks to convince us otherwise, but we believers are on the winning side. And so, um, that's kind of spiritual warfare in a nutshell. But sometimes, um, you know, we have to be careful to remember that, that we do face three different enemies, not just one. Satan is one of those three. So is the world and so is our flesh. And so we don't want to give too much credit to Satan. Um, but the biggest key and the biggest key that, that Drs. Lawless and Cook are talking about in the book is, is that we should always use spiritual warfare to magnify God and not Satan. Our goal is to magnify God. The Bible magnifies God. Our lives should magnify God. We've won the, we've won. The battle has, has been won. But we have a role in this invisible war. So I think I gave somebody Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So this passage right here could be not just one, one session, but like an entire semester. Uh, and in fact, the, several years ago, it was our summer Bible study was this this um, this passage was that armor of God. Um, so we do not have time to dig super deep into this, but there are a few key points that I do want to make. And, and first is we are commanded to put on the whole armor of God. We are active. We have we have a part in this battle. We can't see what's going on, but we still have a role to do. Um, and second, 
you notice we have defensive and offensive weapons. If you are not in the word, you cannot hold the sword of the spirit. God, that's, that's our weapon. That's our, our main offensive weapon that we're physically holding. You need to spend time in the word. And then the third one is that prayer is critical. Daniel never stopped praying. He didn't get an immediate answer like he had previously, but he continued to fast and to pray for weeks. Um, David Jeremiah says, if we are honest with ourselves, we would probably admit that we don't put a high priority on prayer. We give it a lick and a promise as often as we can. We pray before we go to bed sometimes and before we eat. Once in a while, when we get in real bad shape, we ask God to get us out of trouble. But when it comes to the fervent praying that makes a difference in our lives and in the life of this earth, we scarcely give it lip service. Prayer is not just something we should do. It is one of our strongest and most important spiritual weapons. That was the reason that the battle continued for 21 days was because Daniel was praying and Daniel was able to, those, or God was able to take those prayers to fight in that, in that battle. Um, uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, and the and what what they talk about that was being fought was Satan had one plan for per, the, for Persia, and for later we'll see with with Greece as well. God had His plan. God had revealed parts of His plan already to Daniel. Daniel already knew parts of his plan. We already know some of what has happened and we know what's to come thanks to, to Daniel and, and to John with Revelation. Satan thought that he could do something about it. Those, those um, where it says the, in the ESV, the kings of Persia and, and later the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, those are those are the um, the demons that are trying to manipulate the situations for for Persia. These are the these are some of the demons who are helping with the opposition to the temple being rebuilt. These are these are the demons that are sitting on the shoulder of of the kings of Persia saying cancel that decree and make one that they aren't allowed to build anymore. Those are the, those are what, what these demons are trying to do. And, and that's what's, that's what's happening. And yet Daniel is praying and mourning and fasting and just fervently and passionately pouring out his heart to God and is saying, but God, I know your plan. I know that your plan is for this temple to be rebuilt and that I know that your plan is for all of us to make it back to Jerusalem. And I know that your plan is to be glorified in all of this. I know that your plan is salvation for all of us. 
and yet and yet the this the demons were fighting that and so so that's why prayer is just such an important part of these spiritual battles um Right, right. Yeah, the the Old Testament saints were very much um, understood where the whole nation of Israel was with their sins, and and Daniel was no different. Uh, that was that was one level, one aspect of his his mourning was at at and his prayers at different times has been. We've we were wrong. And we still are wrong, but please be faithful. Do what you've said. And, and so Daniel's prayers are calling the angels to action against these, these the, the kings of Persia. Notice it's plural there in the ESV, kings of Persia. These would have been multiple demons that were in charge of that, um, that geographical area. Um, Daniel Aiken, he says, I confess to being convicted, even haunted, by this chapter. If the words of this chapter are true, and I believe they are, why do I not pray more? Why do I not pray with more passion and earnestness? Our prayers provide spiritual reinforcement for the battles that take place against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Our prayers are weapons of warfare that provide the ammunition for the angels as they engage the demonic spiritual forces of evil in spiritual conflict. Our prayers are those two men that went up to George Washington and said, this fort's been abandoned and there are two cannons in that fort. Can we go and get them? That's what our prayers are. Our prayers are those cannons from far away that are coming to, to support the battle. For this particular angel, many think Gabriel, but this particular angel that's in this passage, it took the help of Michael, another angel, he's one of the archangels, to come in and help defeat them to get this angel through this battle and down to Daniel. And then Daniel learns also that that um, there is uh, an additional vision coming. Um, yeah. So then we'll finish out the passage. This time, though, we're going to read the first verse of chapter 11 as well. So Daniel 10, 15 through 11, 1. Oh man, greatly loved, fear not, 
Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And he spoke to me. I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against you except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to him. I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And so D Daniel is again overwhelmed. He becomes weak, um, becomes mute. He's he's in pain. He's having trouble breathing. Um, but Daniel must be afraid uh, because the angel says, fear not. He says, fear not, peace be with you. And then continues to encourage him, continues to minister him, to him just like the angels do and says, um, uh, be strong and of good courage. So the angel here is continuing to strengthen and minister to Daniel to prepare him for the rest of the truth that's coming. Um, and then that, that connecting verse 11, verse 1, it's, it's kind of, um, some call it like the hinge verse, is saying that this same angel um, says, because it says, as for me, this is the angel speaking. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. This angel went to Darius the Mede. Um, many, we've talked about it, many believe Darius and Cyrus are the same with just different names. Um, but that this is, he went two years earlier, which is when this decree was being issued, right? This decree to rebuild the temple. Um, and so we see that the angel strengthened Darius, just like he strengthened or is strengthening Daniel right now. Um, just a, an interesting thing, and we'll talk some more, but just, yeah. So next week we will look at the rest of chapter 11. We'll look at the main part of this final vision that God gave to Daniel. Um, but before we do, what are some ideas for the theme for Daniel chapter 10? Stuff happens when you pray. Yep. That's good. Same same idea. Yeah. Yeah, it it really is a call to passionate prayer. That's what chapter ten is. It's telling us that God does stuff when we pray. He, it's not just that he likes hearing your voice. Uh, um, when I was younger I used to think that um, our prayers were like fish swimming in a sea. Just bear with me here, right? And so we would pray and it would just sort of sit there until God decided to go fishing. But 
but God was like the men, the disciples in the Bible, and so he used a net and just, so he would get lots of them at once and not just one at a time, but still, and when he decided he was ready, he would come and go fishing for them. Daniel 10 tells us that's not what happens. It says when the words come out, that's when the angel started coming, right? God, God wants to answer our prayers. God wants to be, um, wants us to pray. And so it is a call for us to pray. And then we do have to remember that this, there is that invisible battle that's being fought, that we can't see it, but we know it's happening. Um, I sat down last night at about nine o'clock by the time I got everything situated and ready for today and papers printed and kids in bed and, and all those things. And I went to open up my, because um, I, I put it on my, put my notes on my iPad so I can just sort of scroll through instead of having to flip a bunch of pages and it wouldn't open. Then when I got it to open, got the file to open, it, it was about like, it was super itty bitty. I'm like, I can't even read that. Like, what's going on? You know, things happen. Um, that was just one of the things, but that was like five hours into the whole like disastrous evening and morning. But, um, you know, that's, that's those things that, that Satan uses to try to get at us. Because I admit, I went to bed last night and the thought crossed my mind, God, I don't want to do this. That was Satan trying to win. Trying to get me to not be here this morning to call all of you to prayer. I'm here. I won. But, but that was... <laughs> Spiritual warfare doesn't have to take those big things. It doesn't have to be those big, massive things. It can be those little things that just grind at you. And those are the things that we don't think about and we don't think to pray about and that we sometimes just give up on. Um, and, and so I would just encourage you to really just, just focus on that. Take this week and just... Make it a point to pray for those little things. Make it a point to pray for what it, for, for God to lead you and to guide you because he will.